UCLA, bro. Let's go. A little, <laughs> little volleyball in the Smithy tonight. What are you doing here? Sam, Sam Coburn in the Bruins, bro. <laughs> just feels so restricted right now. You work at BYU. The restrictions are errant. <laughs> I am very excited. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline is BYU basketball assistant coach Nick Robinson. Nick, what a wild weekend for you. And Blaine and I, as well as many others, want to know what are the emotions like for you as a coach when you get into a double overtime contest? You know, I mean, it's great to be here today, Spencer and Blaine. When you get in those uh, situations, uh, you really try to stay as calm as possible on the outside. Um, But internally, your mind's going a thousand miles an hour. Your heart's racing that much faster. And, uh, you know, you really just want uh, the best for, uh, you know, our guys and for our team uh, when you get into those situations. But, um, you know, I know for me, I was really excited each time uh, we were uh, uh, headed into overtime because it meant we had another chance to win. <laughs> you know, when we, we think about down the stretch in regulation, there were some chances to win that game if everything goes right. And, and it ends up being into overtime and then, and, and then chances to win that game in the first overtime and that gets into the second overtime and you guys took over. It's always good to have lessons to learn in a win, right? That's way better than a loss. So what's the number one teaching point from this win the other night? You know, I think for for us, uh, the number one teaching point that we want to double down on is, you know, our guys uh, did a great job of responding to uh, the adversity, right, at the end of regulation and the end of overtime. Um, you know, each time something uh, didn't quite go our way, uh, we were able to respond as a team. And, you know, that's hard to do. Uh, you know, it's the first overtime, uh, you know, game that we've had this year. We had a number of them last year. But, you know, for this team uh, at this stage, uh, you know, to, to be able to display their toughness and be able to make plays right after a few things don't quite go our way uh, was really, really impressive in my mind. Coach, eight guys played 15 or more minutes on Saturday, 10 total. This isn't something new to this year's squad, so will that trend continue moving forward with a lot of guys playing, or will the rotation get smaller as you make the stretch run? You know, I think for this team, we've seen that each guy, right, brings something unique to the table, right? Each guy, uh, you know, contributes, uh, you know, in a different way. And so, you know, we were fortunate to have, um, you know, Alex and uh, Matt and Brandon, right, you know, come out, uh, you know, at different times throughout the game and play extremely well and lead us uh, to victory. Um, You know, we've seen that our bench, right, over the past you know, 19 games, right, collectively uh, has been able to, um, you know, outscore uh, and outplay, right, our opponents, right, relatively consistently. So, you know, I think for us as we continue to move forward, right, each guy's got to continue to get better every day. Each guy's got to be ready to uh, contribute. And, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, how Coach Pope uh, decides to move forward with, uh, you know, the rotations in the lineup. There. I guess there are some pros and cons. What are those to have a bench that deep and, and to be able to go to 10 or 11 guys sometimes? I guess there's some pluses and some, some challenges with that. What are those? 
Yeah, for each individual player, you know, at, at times it can be a little bit challenging, right? So that so, you know, one game you might play, you know, seven or eight minutes, and the next game you might play twenty minutes. Um, you know, that can be a challenge uh, internally, uh, you know, but, you know, for us, you know, it's really not about the individual, right? It's about us as a team and, um, you know, each game presents different challenges. And so each guy's got to be ready to step up, uh, you know, given those, uh, you know, challenges that we're about to face. And so, um, you know, again, you know, I, I kind of go back to each guy right on this roster has done a great job of really seeking to play right for his teammate. And, um, you know, each night has presented uh, different challenges uh, and uh, we've seen different guys step up at different times. BYU basketball assistant coach Nick Robinson with the on BYU Sports Nation. Case in point to what you just said, coach, Gideon George plays 15 minutes against Pacific clutch plays down the stretch just three minutes against Pepperdine what's his role specifically moving forward yeah Gideon George right has continued to progress throughout this year like a lot of our guys have and you know the the ability that he has on the defensive end the ability that he has in terms of rebounding right have really proven to be able to you know help our team at uh, particular times Um, you know in terms of the offensive end Right. He's been very aggressive, uh, but he's also, you know, had some turnover uh, issues. Uh, But, you know, each guy, you know, like Gideon George, you know, has really progressed. You know, and you think about, uh, you know, Connor Harding and his role, uh, you know, and how he's been able to adapt and change, um, you know, in the big plays that he made uh, right in our last game. And so, um, you know, I, I think that each guy, right has started to kind of establish the role that they're able to play, um, you know, for this team. And now they've got to continue to maximize it. You know, Coach, last year's team was was a veteran team, a lot, lot of seniors. And it seemed like you still had to figure out what, you know, what everybody was going to do and what their role was going to be. Um, and there came a point in the season where it seems like you, switch, you put a switch and a light bulb came on and you went in the stretch run and they were just – dominating at that point how does this team compare I know it's a younger team uh, but but how does this team compare to last year's team because you're not going to embark on the stretch run really are, are they as prepared as last team and how do they compare in contrast yeah so I mean so last year right we had uh, you know a number of guys uh, that had been right at high level college basketball right for three plus years right knocking on the door and so the makeup of this team is a little bit different right but you know a lot of credit goes to coach pope right as he's uh, managed each individual as he's managed this team right and, and now that we're entering february right in this home stretch i think we're in somewhat of a similar position right you know coach pope right is starting to get a really good feel for you know each guy right where this team can be um you know as we move forward into the next game uh, but also i think that the guys on this team have really started to understand right coach pope um you know in a, in a in a in a great way right you know our emphasis right defensively and rebounding is continuing to progress you know offensively right we're continuing to progress right in a lot of ways and so you know i think that you know for this team moving forward right we feel like we're in a similar situation um you know as last year's team and you know and the thing that you know i i feel like both teams have and have been able to display right is a lot of mental toughness right you think about this year's Team, uh, you know, in our first, 
uh, you know, conference games, we've been on the road more than we have been at a home. And we're about to go on the road again. And so, you know, to be where we are at this this point in time, uh, to see the toughness that this team has displayed, the ability to respond very similar to how last year's team, uh, you know, played, um, you know, game in, game in and game out, especially after losses, right, is really impressive as we head into February. No question this team has had its fair share of high-pressure situations and, like you said, have responded very well in most of those games. Specific to the Pacific contest, your team had a chance to seemingly put things away with some free throws. Those didn't drop at the end of the game. So how do you address free throw concerns in high-pressure situations and practice and simulate something like that moving forward? You know, our, our uh, you know, methodology as it relates to free throws, you know, probably won't change, right? You know, our focus, right, is not on the makes and misses. Our focus is on, right, the routine, right, and how we finish, right, each free throw. And so we were pleased that each guy that stepped up to the line, right, finished their free throws. Uh, I mean, you take, uh, you know, uh, you know, two games ago, uh, or three games ago against Pepperdine, right? And we shoot, what, 85, 90% from the free throw line. And so, you know, we're going to continue to stay, stay consistent, um, you know, in, uh, you know, our practice and our efforts and in our teaching as it relates to free throws. And uh, we have a lot of confidence that guys will step up and make those cru- crucial free throws the next time we're in that situation. Let's talk about Alex Barcel a little bit, Coach. It, it, early in the season, I mean, he was shooting at such a crazy rate, we all just kept shaking our heads and saying, like, nobody can continue to shoot 63% from three, right? That's just, we didn't expect that. But, but he had a little bit of a four-game stretch here where scoring's been tough. And I know he's contributed in other ways, but, but he had a little bit of a, a scoring drought where his percentage came down. He was having a hard time finding good shots. The other night against Pacific – Seems like he found a different way to score, turning the corner and, and, and getting ahead and, and turn this thing around. Is this a turning point uh, for Alex, do you think, where, um, where he now goes on another run? And, and how have you handled him during this time while he's been in a little bit of a shooting slump? You know, I think Coach Pope and Coach Feger have done a great job, you know, with Alex, um, you know, throughout the season, right? I mean, Alex as a leader has been tremendous uh, for us throughout the year, you know, even during a little bit of a, uh, you know, a slump, uh, you know, from a shooting perspective, you know, but every single day, right, he continues to work, right, extremely consistently and extremely, you know, hard, right, to, uh, you know, build his confidence as we move forward. So, you know, as it relates to, you know, the recent, uh, you know, shooting slump, you know, we're in, in league play at this stage. And, uh, you know, Alex having been, uh, you know, one of our key contributors, you know, when it comes to film and scout and preparation, right, our opponents, right, have done a solid job, right, of, uh, you know, guarding Alex, right, in different ways that maybe he had seen earlier in the year. And so, you know, he's been able to adjust to that, right, with a lot of film with Coach Feger. Uh, He's been able to, you know, continue to stay the course. And yes, right, in league, right, you know, shots can get to be a little bit, you know, tougher. Uh, But, you know, in this last game, right, he did a great job, right, of finding an extra bounce, of finding opportunities to be able to, right, draw fouls, right, get to the free throw line. And, um, 
you know, to be, you know, very productive, right, in a different way. Uh, you know, he only shot, what, one three, right? But we had multiple guys, and he was able to set up other guys, right, with seven assists, you know, four threes. And as a team, we're able to shoot 38%. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, Alex Barcelo, right, he's all about winning, Right. That's what he wants for this team. Right. That's what he wants for the program. And, uh, you know, he's excited about winning basketball games. Coach, in the uncertainty of the COVID era, it feels like a game is capable of happening any day. At one point, we saw a Monday game on the schedule. That was scrapped. Pacific got moved up. Now you got a rare Tuesday game against San Diego. How are you and the team handling the uncertainty of pushing forward with these rare early week games? You know, I know from an assistant coach's perspective and, and preparing for scouts, um, you know, and scouting our opponents, right, it's come with its ups and downs and some really late nights uh, as you go from preparing uh, for one team and then 24 hours later you're all of a sudden preparing for another team. So, um, you know, but from our, our guys' perspective, you know, they're really, really grateful to be playing games. You know, there's a lot of teams throughout the country that, you know, have yet to play five games, uh, you know, six games. And so, you know, I think that gratitude uh, to be able to play games, right, and the effort from our administration and Coach Pope and the West Coast Conference, right, to be able to help us, right, you know, play games, whether they have to be rescheduled or not, uh, you know, brings a, you know, a level of, you know, excitement, but also nervousness because you may not know, right, you know, exactly when you're playing. So, you know, our guys have done a great job, right, of handling, uh, you know, the situation that we're in when it comes to COVID, you know, and trying to keep their bodies healthy, right, and being smart, um, you know, as well as, uh, you know, being able to be prepared. And so, you know, we dealt with it, you know, in different ways earlier on in the year. So as we head down this stretch, you know, we, we feel like we've seen, uh, you know, every scenario uh, from a, a preparation standpoint, uh, as well as from an opportunity and a gratefulness to be able to play games. Well, San Diego's up next. And uh, give us a quick scout on San Diego. What can we expect? Yeah, so Coach Burgess, right, has done a great job in the last, right, 24 hours of preparing all of us. You know, San Diego, you know, at this point has really uh, had to deal with, uh, you know, COVID uh, in different ways. And, you know, they have yet to really have a, uh, you know, a stretch of games where they've had a full roster. And so right now, right, we are preparing for a full roster, um, you know, and they've got, you know, a couple of guys that have done a great job uh, overall, um, you know, in being consistent throughout, uh, you know, at the point guard position, um, you know, Finn uh, Sullivan, right, you know, is very, uh, you know, savvy in the way that he plays. Uh, you know, Josh Parrish, uh, who plays at their three and the four, is very explosive as a scorer uh, and does a great job. They've got some tremendous bigs. Uh, you know, that are strong and physical, right? And they're going to give us uh, some concern inside. Um, you know, one of their you know, best shooters, right, has been kind of in and out, uh, you know, of games. Uh, but Calcaterra, you know, is a great shooter, right? And, and you know, has yet to maybe find a little bit of his rhythm. But, you know, we've seen that he's pr- a proven, right, shooter. And so, 
you know, they're well, well coached. Uh, we have to go to their place. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be a tough battle. You know, last year at their place, right, it came down to the last play. And, um, you know, Yoli and, and uh, TJ were able to make a tremendous uh, play to finish the game. Uh, but it's going to be a battle as, as we head down to San Diego. Coach, let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma for the road trip. The least we can do because, uh, as you pointed out, your time is limited. So thanks for taking a uh, timeout, pun intended, and hanging out with us on BYU Sports Nation. Well, I'm glad I can be a part of the timeout. Uh, I feel like the stretched media timeout uh, that it is. Uh, way better talking to you guys than it is to referees during media timeouts. <laughs> I love it, right, man. Thanks, Good Nick. luck tomorrow. Hey, thanks, guys. Nick Robinson on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Uh, And we begin this segment uh, with some football news. Dax Milne tweeted out 30 minutes ago, the BYU receiver, that he has received an NFL Combine invitation. Kairos Tonga and Chris Wilcox tweeted the same out over the weekend. Clearly, Zach Wilson and Brady Christensen are going to be invited in that uh, group. They're going to get some attention. But, Blaine, I'm not really sure what that means because the Combine is not going to be the traditional big showcase in Indianapolis where everyone gathers and the scouts are all there. Um, what we do know is that players are going to be granted access to maybe have a greater spotlight uh, and they can compete the workouts or complete the workouts rather on their college campus or to a location of their choice. But, but I think the details are still to be worked out, but a bunch of virtual stuff. And here's the thing. It's, it, it's a prestigious thing. Um, the NFL rates players. And if you're in a top so many players, you get a combine invite. And in a year when there's not really a, a in-person combine, they're still sending out these invites to indicate you would have been yeah. in that group. And now I imagine they get extra attention, whether it's a virtual workout on campus or wherever, whatever it is, they pay special attention. And perhaps they even post those things. We'll, we'll get some more on all of this, but but it's a prestigious thing to get a combine invite. And it's been a while since BYU's had multiple invites to a combine. And that, that ought to tell you a little bit about the talent level um, that is has been on that fo- that was on the football team the last couple of years and moving on and the point that this football program is at you know can they backfill that kind of thing yeah the, think about the guys that are leaving obviously you lose your all world quarterback Zach Wilson and Dax Milne and Matt Bushman is gone the great tight end we didn't get to see him last year but he's he's gone and that's still a vacancy you know uh, Kyrus Tonga Chris Wilcox Zane Anderson Troy Warner. Brady Christensen, Chandon Herring, Tristan Hodge. Blaine, the list is it long. Sounds, it sounds really scary, it doesn't it? It ominous, right? So, and based on Bill Connolly's ESPN numbers, he, he looks at the production that's being lost. I asked the following question. Is 2021 a complete rebuilding year for BYU football? Because according to Connolly, BYU is 127th out of 130 teams in college football in overall returning production at just 31%. Should we be freaking out about this? Well, if, if you don't know the team up close and personal and you don't get to understand, you know, who they've recruited on top of, like who's right who's right behind Brady Christensen? What are they going to do there? And the thing that makes BYU interesting, because I'd be interested, we didn't get a chance to go back and look at how BYU was graded last year because nobody had any idea BYU was going to be 
good like they were, right? What did they bring back? Yeah, what did they bring back? And BYU is always affected more than any place in the country by missionaries that are coming back, that backed up last year or redshirted last year, that were big-time recruits coming out, that they have big plans for and now will be ready to play, right? Um, they don't plan on guys like Isaac Rex. Did anybody know who Isaac Rex was? Last year, and so Bill Conley, he has this grading criteria formula that he looks at, and and he weights it. So, uh, returning quarterback passing yards is twenty nine percent of his okay. offensive weighting system, right? Okay. Well, that's a big hit for BYU in his weighting system. Returning running back rushing yards is five percent. It's tiny. So he doesn't he doesn't think that that is a big deal. And then we look at it and go, whoa, it needs to be a big deal because BYU has Tyler Algier back, and they've got uh, they've they've got. Uh, Lopini Katoa, come, I mean, they're two primary guys. Sione Finau, Jackson yeah, McChesney. McChesney back, Finau back, Davis back. They're loaded at running back. He only he only values that at 5%, right? So wide receiver and tight end receiving yards, he values at 34% of his formula. Dax Milne's gone. Yeah, 1,000-yard receiver is gone. So that, that has a big impact. And then returning offensive line snaps, where so you're going to lose Tristan Hodge and you're going to lose Brady Christensen. I don't know if he's missed a snap in the last Chandon Herring. years. And Shandon Herring. So, so – but we know how deep they are. We know that they, they have nine guys that have started games right. on that offensive line right. last year. So, And then defense, he has a similar, but returning tackles is the big thing on defense. 56% of his formula. So if you're reading this and you, and on Twitter and you're going, man, BYU's going to be terrible, I say well, let's call it a reloading year. Yes, because, not rebuild. Because we, we know what they've got coming back. How about Isaac Rex? How about Holker coming back from a mission and, and, and going to play tight. They're loaded at tight end. They're loaded at running back. they got good receivers coming back. Offensive line will be strong again. We, we know they're capable at quarterback. They might not be Zach Wilson right now, but they're capable at quarterback. Eh, I'm not buying this. It's rebuild. A, it's a rebuild. I'm not buying it. All right, we're on the reload BYU football train. Let's keep this thing going. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. It's always great to have ESPN's Bill Connolly, college football insider, expert, and writer, joining us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline once again. Bill, how's life in a world where EA Sports college football is returning? It might be like three years from now, but it was still just great to have the buzz back uh, to to re- to remind ourselves what could be. I guess so. That was that was good. I appreciate them doing that. We can use all the optimism we can get right now. Let the debates continue about who deserves to be on the cover. A topic for another day, <laughs> that's for sure. Hey, we just outlined your numbers and metrics to uh, open up our show today. BYU. 127th, essentially dead last in overall returning production. Should BYU football fans be freaking out, Bill? Well, I mean, if you're expecting another top 10 run, um, you know, this suggests the odds of that aren't amazing. I mean, you could counter with that and say that, you know, they weren't amazing last year, this time last year either, and look what happened. So you can you can lean on that. But right now, I mean, yeah, a lot of the pieces, a lot of the most important pieces of that run are gone. And so it does seem like you're kind of starting a, a new cycle, so to speak, a new, a new build, so to speak. Okay. So let's talk about uh, the values within that uh, metric. So you put 29% for pass yards, 5% for rush yards, 34 for wide receiver, tight end receiving yards, 33% for O-line snaps. Why 5% yep. for rush yards? 
<laughs> well, okay. First, I mean, we have to think about how many people are on the field for each of these categories. Now, quarterback passing yards at 29%. Yeah. I mean, quarterback is sure. Uh, I think that's, I think we can all agree that they're, they're important, but basically everybody else, you're looking at what about seven or 8% per receiver um, about five, about six or 7% per offensive lineman, and then have 5% per running back more or less. And so it's not that it looks bad because we're, you know, we're looking at 5% versus 20 or 30%, but really per person, it's not as bad as it seems at the very least, but it is interesting. It does the continuity required at the receiver position seems to mean a lot more. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, you can re, re, you can replace running backs a little bit easier than you can, you know, a couple star receivers or something. Bill, it's hard not to feel like BYU has entered a full on rebuilding mode and you called it a partial rebuild, but based on those <laughs> metrics and losing the likes of Zach Wilson and Dax Milne, of course, we mentioned the running backs coming back, but in the spectrum, is it closer to a rebuild or is it closer to a reload for BYU? Well, I think the positive spin is, I mean, BYU has been pretty good on the lines and that's where a lot of the production has to be replaced. Zach, I mean, Zach Wilson is, is obviously a different story here. He was really special and we'll see exactly what kind of the more, what a, I guess a replacement level BYU quarterback is capable of, or if the next guy up, whether it's Romney or whoever, if the next guy up can be anywhere near as good. But a lot of the lost production comes on the lines where BYU's been solid through the years. They lose, you know, their top two offensive linemen, top three defensive linemen. But it's been a while since BYU had a bad defensive line, so that would be that would be some of the positive spin I could offer. The another source of of, of continuity, typically, that or I should say, another source of, you know regression or improvement is the secondary where if you uh, lose a lot of guys, it hurts extra and, and losing the top three uh, guys in terms of snap counts there, that isn't great. But uh, really for me, it comes down to, to the quarterback position. I think the ever, everybody else um, can be replaced at a pretty sufficient level. We just have to see just what the drop off is once you lose Zach Wilson. And certainly the off season is full of projections based on the known, right? So What's the connection, in your opinion, between what you're putting out in terms of returning production and then success on the field? Because the uh, variable in this equation is the new guys. The in BYU's case, yeah. dude, they dudes they signed two years ago or three <laughs> uh, that went on missions and are coming back that may or may not play a role. Obviously, freshmen and right. transfers and whatnot. Yeah, so this ends up being part of the SP Plus projection. It's it's a big part of it, obviously. Um, and it's a very good, if you're really high or really low on the returning production list, it's a pretty good, uh, it's not a guarantee, but it's pretty close that you're going to improve or regress. Um, but it's still only part of the equation. Uh, you know, the SP Plus also takes into effect recent recruiting, not just, not just last year or the last couple of years, but kind of a blend of the last three or four years. Um, so, you know, how you've recruited there, it's, it's kind of intended to be the, here's what you lose and here's the caliber of guy you're replacing them with. Uh, and then there's also what I call a program health aspect to it, which is basically just kind of a weighted history of recent seasons. Like one good or bad season is one thing, but if you've, how have you done over the last two, three, four years, that suggests a lot about your program too. So all of those go into effect. Um, so like an Alabama who never ranks high on returning production because they always lose, you know, 12 <laughs> draft picks or whatever, they're still projected in the top two or three the next year. They'll be number one this year, probably. Um, so, you know, it, it all blends together. I, I think what it basically, basically suggests about BYU this year is, you know, you know, we're not looking at collapse here. We're not looking at, you know, suddenly they're going to be 105th, but they'll probably drop back 
close to where their general averages are in the 30s or 40s, something like that, uh, when it comes to projecting next year. How much did the most recent BYU football season, 11 wins, only one loss, finish number 11 in the AP poll, how did that season affect the national perception of Kalani Satake and BYU football moving forward? Yeah, I, th- I don't I don't know what the perception necessarily was before. He was doing fine, all right, fine, some word like that before 2020. Um, and, and I know, you know, I do just enough of, uh, you know, BYU radio or Salt Lake radio that, you know, people weren't amazingly thrilled with how things were going before 2020. Uh, but I think now, I mean, the national perception is, hey, he's doing good. He's fine. You know, maybe maybe they're not nobody's expecting another top 10 run this next season. Everybody knows that Zach Wilson had a lot to do with that. But I think the national perception of BYU is if it had slid, uh, you know, suffered a little bit of a slide over these last few years, maybe since Bronco Mendenhall left, I would say that the perception has at least rebounded to back to where it was four or five, six years ago. Um, It's up to the it's up to BYU, obviously, to do more now. If you can make another top 10 or 15 run in the next couple of years, then I think the perceptions shift dramatically once you've kind of once the same coach has done it twice I think the the perceptions are that you know it's just an assumption at that point that it's a good program and if BYU played I don't know three four power fives I I might be like okay there's a chance BYU gets to kind of that 10 mark and makes a splash because no one really cares about a single digit win team in the national perception but BYU's playing seven uh power fives uh, back to the very aggressive schedules Albeit not a ton of them world beaters, USC at the end looks like the only game where it's like, okay, that's going to be really, really hard. What's your perception of BYU's season, given that they are playing a a more challenging schedule than the non-Power 5 schedule it played in 2020? Well, I think it's it's one thing that's interesting is – Pac-12 could be really solid this year, so it's not necessarily a great year to load up on Pac-12 opponents. Um, (laughs) One of the big takeaways from that returning production piece that we put up this week is just that, you know, maybe it was because of the the short season or whatever uh, or what have you, but um, most of the Pac-12 is back this coming season. Like 80, I think the average was something like 80% returning production for the Pac-12. Everybody else is in the 60s or low 70s. So uh, you're going to see a situation where, you know, Utah's borderline top 25 team at worst Arizona State's a borderline top 25 team at worst obviously USC it's kind of hard to figure out if they're a contender or just kind of a top 15 team but they're still going to be really solid Washington State could improve a lot uh, because they returned just about all of last year's production so I mean it is a tricky schedule I'm looking at the schedule right now and I mean BYU could be a touchdown or so underdog against Utah and Arizona State a two touchdown underdog against USC kind of toss up games against Baylor and Washington State and Virginia so if the quarterback is is not replacement level, if if the quarterback is good, lots of wins on the table there. But it could those projections could go pretty far one way or the other based on the quarterback position. Incredibly high numbers for the Pac-12, and not surprisingly, eight of the top fifteen teams in your list of returning production yep. are from the Pac-12. There are some new coaches that BYU is going to face, and I, I always kind of give yep. an advantage to the team that brings back an incumbent, a guy that's been there for a long time. But taking all of those things into consideration, Bill, how many games do you expect BYU to win next season out of the 12 regular season games scheduled? I, 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 this is very unsatisfying, I realize, but I do figure you know something in the neighborhood of 7 to 8 is most likely at that's least. That's where you we're at, too. See yeah, I mean, you can easily see how maybe something better could come about. Uh, it's not like the Utah and Arizona State games are out of reach by any means. And USC, I mean, 
every time we start to realize like we're talking highly about USC, we realize also, you know, it's been a while since we've been right about that. So I mean, <laughs> none of these games are, are out of reach by any uh, you know stretch of the imagination, but it is a hard schedule. There's no question about that. So, uh, you know, if, if this is a top 30 team, then I would say eight, nine wins is on the table. But if it is merely a top 40 or so team, as I think they're going to end up projected next week, then yeah, you're probably looking at something in the seven neighborhood. Okay, so next week you're coming out with some more projections. Is that what you're saying? The S&P Plus? The S&P Plus uh, 2021 official mega projection whatever. <laughs> yeah! I think that'll be out Monday Woo! or Tuesday. You heard hey, it here first. Listen, so, the, mo- the moment that comes out, we're like, hey, hey, Bill uh, put out his S&P Plus. Let's, let's devour <laughs> it and see what BYU yep. won't be. No, uh, Zach Wilson, uh, you mentioned it, special season, all-time season. Yep. BYU. There have been a lot of great quarterbacks at BYU. That was as good as almost any season BYU's had, minus maybe Ty Detmer's 90 and Jim McMahon's 80 or something. But what, what's yeah. your perception of the kind of season he had and uh, your thoughts on you know the NFL draft with him? Yeah, it was, it's kind of funny. You always have those guys. We, we just assumed it was Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. Um, for the last 12 months, we've, we've assumed that that was the 2021 draft. And so a guy like Zach Wilson, who was who you know had that amazing game at the end of his freshman year, he was hurt his sophomore year, his numbers weren't amazing, kind of knew he'd be around, didn't know he'd be so good that he'd declare early, didn't know he'd be so good that he'd declare early and potentially be a top five pick. So it was definitely... Um, I, I mean, it was an incredible season and it's hard to say it was any of the hype is unjustified. You see the arm, you see the, you know, 70, whatever percent completion rate. Um, he, he kind of backs it up. It isn't a case where we're just basing it solely on arm strength or something. Uh, he, he has, you know, he was a starter for the better part of what, two and a half years. Um, it's kind of a complete resume and it's funny too, because I have to, There were times when I had to remind myself that he was really good. I I found myself tapping the brakes a lot in the fall, uh, reminding everybody that Tyler Algier is also really, really good because I felt like he was getting overshadowed. Uh, Having that ridiculously strong run game to lean on helped Zach Wilson immensely. But, um, you know, being that Algier is not in the draft and Wilson is, it's time for me to speak more highly of Wilson again, I guess. Bill, we appreciate the time. Looking forward to your SP Plus projections, the the mega projection or whatever you're going to call That's it. That's right. Uh, when and how do uh, our listeners and viewers find that when it comes out along with the rest of your material? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I tweet everything. That's probably still the best way to, to put everything together. Like, obviously, you know, the SP Plus projections will be on the front page of the you know the college football site of the ESPN and all that. But uh, ESPN underscore Bill C, everything ends up uh, promoted there a couple of times at least. So that's probably the best place. Bill, thanks for the time, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Yep. Bill Connolly of ESPN on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. I like his stuff. Uh, I think he provides a different perspective. He crunches different numbers. Um, listen, again, if it's inconvenient or negative, it should not necessarily be dismissed. In fact, the BYU doesn't bring, bring back a ton of production. In fact, the least amount of anybody in college football, according to him, of the teams that played. That's okay uh, because we know who BYU has come back and what they can do, and he's in the same range as us he generally. He just validated all that. Exactly. Right. He said that he, he expects BYU to be a top 40, top 50 team to win seven and eight, seven or eight games in top spite 40's of the goal. being dead last in production returning. Yeah, to me, top 40 is the goal, realistically, if you're going to play this kind of schedule. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Time now for... 
Top 5 Tuesday, based on the Super Bowl matchup of Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. Great quarterback matchup. We thought, what are the top five quarterback matchups in BYU football history? Presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. Number 5, 2006. John Beck versus Matt Ryan at Boston College. Matt Ryan ends up being the 2016 NFL MVP. The first-round pick, of course. Uh, John Beck is a second-round pick later, both playing the NFL. Boston College ends up winning this game. We're less inclined about like what happened in the game. <sighs> Double Just, overtime. Yeah, this is one that got away from BYU. But Matt Ryan, who was he on the cover of NCAA College Football? I'm trying to remember. He, yes, he, he was. Might have been right the he next was. year in 07. Yeah, he was. He was there at and, some point. And Matt played. Didn't Matt play? Or was Matt the backup in the 05 game, Broncos' first game? Yes. Okay. Or no, I think he might have been the starter. He might have played twice against. Yeah. There you go. How about that? On to number four. Another John Beck sighting against Matt Leinert and number one ranked USC at the peak of the Trojans' powers. They won the national championship that year. John threw for 194 yards, touchdown. Leinert, 22 of 34, 236 yards. When John Beck hit Todd Watkins, I thought, okay, maybe they've got a shot. Then USC went to Reggie Bush and ended up winning 42 to 10. Leinert won the Heisman. Yeah. Um, I remember this game. Oh, wait, I don't. I was on my mission. Number three. Fun buildup. 2009. Max Hall versus Sam Bradford. BYU, number 20 versus number three, Oklahoma. Big win for the Cougars. Max Hall winning his quarterback in BYU history. Sam Bradford had won the Heisman the year before. So this is his, uh, what, second game after winning the Heisman. Colby Clawson. Oh, AC shoulder separation. Yep, yep. For Sam Bradford, that the Brian the Korea game. game, Jeremy. Now, what people don't talk about is Landry Jones came in as a freshman and loses. Landry Jones becomes number three all time in passing yards in NCAA history. I don't think people understand that. The guy that came in ends up being really, really good. What a game! What a game! Max Hall was second team all Mountain West that year, by the way. What? Because Andy Dalton? Yeah. Or Alec? The Red Rocket? Or, sorry, uh, was Brian Johnson first team? No, it was it was Andy oh, Dalton. Okay. That was Andy. Yeah, Dalton. that was that was a tough year to be the first teamer. Okay, uh, Heisman Trophy winners are a thing in this. Sam Bradford won it. Matt Leinart won it. And guess who won it for BYU? Ty Detmer versus Craig Erickson, who was a Heisman candidate himself for the Hurricanes in 1990. Detmer throws for 406, three touchdowns, outplaying Erickson, who threw for 299 yards and was intercepted in a critical situation. BYU 28-21 winners, probably the greatest win in BYU football history when you look at how all of their opponents No finished. arguments there. Erickson won the Johnny Unitas. I didn't realize he was that good. How does Ty Detmer not win the Johnny Unitas? Okay, anyway. And the number one quarterback matchup in BYU history. 1983, BYU-UCLA. It's Steve Young versus Steve Bono. Steve Young, obviously, eventual Pro Football Hall of Famer, second in the Heisman that year. Um, he was incredible. Bono ends up uh, playing 14 years in the league. Backs up Steve Young. Steve Young gets hurt. Bono is the starter for the Niners. <laughs> they played on the same team. And they played on the same team, the Niners. So that's that's pretty cool. This was one of the biggest wins in BYU history at the time. UCLA ends up crushing Illinois in the Rose Bowl. And BYU wins this game on the road. If you haven't seen the 1983 Reviewables episode we did, so go watch it. Spencer makes the argument that 83 is actually the best team in BYU history. You can go to the BYU TV app. To search for 1983 reviewable. Based on what they accomplished and their overall resume, it is the best team in BYU football history. No, no, no. Just based on your opinion. <laughs> no, no, no information. I'm Just basing my opinion. I'm basing it. my opinion on that. Yes, clearly. Very good. The yeah. two Steves, and those are the top five 
Quarterback matchups in BYU football history. We should have done the top five Andy Reid punt pass kick moments from that video when he's like 6'4", <laughs> and all the kids are like four feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Reid, and his last name is spelled wrong. It's Andrew Reid. R-I-E-D. <laughs> Listen, back in the day, different. It's so good. The Halloween costume of Andy Reid as the Little League football player oh, yeah. is always one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Live over Zoom is one of our favorite people. He's itching to get back in here. The head coach of BYU men's volleyball, Sean Olmstead. Sean, welcome back to the program. I wish we were discussing a win, but I am interested to find out how you cope with the loss. Do you go for a 50-mile run and, and get it out of your system? What, what happens? No. Yeah, uh, I stay up late and uh, made a nice scramble of sausage and eggs and cheese uh, at about midnight last night. So that's how I dealt with it last night. But in the past, it's been you know maybe therapeutic to get out and get on a long run. But uh, no, it's uh start to the season. Tough loss for the guys uh, here at home. But um, here's where we're at. We get another shot, uh, tomorrow. So, uh, we've got to, we've got to rebound and, and be, be ready to get in the gym today, practice and discuss some things, some tough things, and then go forward and get ready to compete. Nothing's normal in 2021, but, uh, three starters out for UCLA and obviously Will Stanley at setter was a big one wearing masks, no fans or limited to family. It was all just kind of weird. But uh, what was it like in that match to try and try and get uh, Zio Meyer and the connection with the hitters as best you could get it? Yeah, that, that's exactly what we were doing. You know, a young kid, freshman, put in that circumstance, and and he's a kid that uh, is you know pretty mature beyond his years. You know, very experienced, and um, you know uh, for whatever reason we we just couldn't get our offense going. In reality, we passed really really well, and so. That, that was tough, and uh, it's some things we've got to work with him, watching film, slowing things down a little and discussing things, maybe a little minor change here or there. But, um, you know, we kept trying to get things going, and, and it, when it wasn't, it just kind of was a snowball effect and, and, and had a bigger impact on the rest of the team and, and, and the rest of the things we were trying to do, and we saw that. And so it, it was kind of uh, all credit to UCLA because they, they picked up on that. They kind of ran with that energy and that excitement, understanding that we were still trying to find things uh, on our side of the net to click our way. There's a storied rivalry with you, UCLA and BYU in volleyball. Does what happened last night add another chapter to that? Does does this is this a good thing for this rivalry moving forward? Well, yeah, because I believe I believe any time that we can play UCLA is a great thing. I mean, really, you know, um, we're fortunate that, that they're they're always a, a very competitive, top program, outstanding coaching staff, great players, and so we we uh, that's been you're exactly right. That's been a very heated rivalry. You know, going back to Carl McGowan and Al Skates, and those are those are stories that will be told forever, <laughs> and uh, some of the best stories. Uh, the best stories around, but um, maybe for another date and another segment. But um, and that rivalry continues. You know, we're both bringing the best out of each other, and you want that. And uh, I'm I'm absolutely okay with those kind of matches being the opener for 
our guys. And uh, last night we, we, we were a little shell shocked and, and the shell shocking kind of continued. And we saw that where we just, just couldn't, we struggled to find that rhythm and get back on uh, where we needed to be. And so, Hey, it's a learning experience for our guys and opportunity. And we definitely have to respond differently and better uh, collectively as a team for tomorrow night. And that's what seems like the good news in this. This wasn't the MPSF championship match in April. This was the very first match of the season. So if you're going to learn some lessons, obviously you learn them early and then you, you peak later. So what is it that you feel like you can learn from this experience, not only to be better on Saturday in match two, but to make sure you can get to Columbus in May? Yeah, that, that's exactly what the goal is, you know. And so uh, we want to be in a position where we're playing the best volleyball we can be playing uh, into the end of April and into May. And we believe that as a group, that if that if that's the case, we're going to be in a really, really uh, good spot to compete. And so um, you can throw around, and sometimes coaches throw around the, those things, ah, oh, it's a lesson learned, it's good, this or that. But in reality, if we don't make changes – then then these become tough losses and and we're just kind of spewing things and saying things to check a check a box in the corner and that's not what we want to be you know are we really really going to learn something and take some value out of this and be able to okay make changes respond to changes respond to to the coaching respond to your teammates and if we can do that then yes lesson learned and and we're okay with that you know uh very few teams no no team's going to go through the season undefeated we understand that that's not a goal that's not what we're reaching for we're reaching for being in the moment learning and so if we do that then, then, uh, then we're in a good spot, and we constantly discuss that. So, if we can learn from this, there's a lot of value to gain, and and be able to come back. and And tomorrow is going to be uh, a good oppor- opportunity for us to see if we've learned something and 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 are moving on from it. BYU head volleyball coach Sean Olmstead, part-time Ironman with us on BYU Sports Nation. Coach, what's the plan for Will Stanley and his return? Because we know what an incredible talent he is at setter, and you obviously missed him last night. Yeah, um, we're he's still working through that. Um, uh, just kind of an uh, he had an ankle sprain. It was the week be uh, in the week leading up to this match, and so we've. We uh, have a great medical staff, and we trust their judgment. And and Will's Will's a tough kid, so Will Will would have wrapped that thing up twenty times and gotten out there. But we have to understand that this is the start of the season. Let's be smart about um, that that ankle fully recovering. Uh, let's let's take it for that. And so we'll continue to go down and and check on things and figure out. Uh, where we believe he's at he'll he's been you know getting reps in practice very light ones and so we'll we'll see and so there isn't a perfect timetable in these situations um if this was a game that we were playing for the mpsf championship even last night if that was the mpsf championship and the national championship will would have been playing but um considering the timing of everything and that we've got a handful of months ahead and that's what our our ultimate goal is then we're gonna we're gonna be smart and work with our outstanding trainer blaine blaine empey and and the medical staff that we have and we'll make good decisions there the pac-12 has asked its teams to play in masks and then to have the opponents play in masks even on the road and a week leading up to that what was that like to do that because uh like we talked about next week with pepperdine that's not necessarily the case for the players on the court when it's a non-pac-12 team this year right 
Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we started doing that. Uh, we had to start uh, a week ago today um, and mask up all the time. Our, our athletes, as are all the athletes at BYU, are, are masked up in the situations that they need to be, but uh, are allowed to practice it without masks, are allowed to do things in the weight room without masks. So that was that was an adjustment. But um, uh, it's it's kind of the reality of, uh, do we want to play volleyball games or do we not? And we want to play and these guys want to play and they've put themselves in a a position to, to play and compete. And so if it means that we've got to wear a mask, then yeah, we've got to adjust a little and it's, it's different. You know, you see masks halfway down the face. Others are over here on the side of the, it's, it's all over there. And, uh, so we want to play and, and we're going to follow, the rules that they have because that allows them to come to Provo and play. And so we've just got to do it, but it it is different. Um, We try to take more water breaks, give them a little more uh, catch their breath and kind of go from there. Coach, uh, you have taken on the immense challenge of a weekly podcast with Jerem Jordan and Steve Vale. How do you feel about this new project? (laughs) I'm I'm excited because I think uh, I think the world of both of those guys. I think they do an outstanding job in their preparation, in, in their insight. You know, Steve's a, a classic guy. Usually, anytime he's on a Zoom call, he's sitting in a car, whether he's driving or not. I don't know how the guy just finds himself sitting in parking lots all over the place. But uh, um, no, I, I think they do. There's so many. There's so much history and so many great stories in our program that I'm excited to, to be told. So uh, I'm just, I'm just honored that I get to be a small part of it, but so many of my teammates, so many of the alum, uh, you know, this it's rich. We're talking about Super Bowl ties, man, the ties that men's volleyball has uh, go, go into the Olympic games into overseas and into so many, so many different avenues. So it's exciting that we get to maybe learn a little more about those things. Keep that top button loosened whenever you're recording with those guys, and it'll all be okay. It's on the radio. That's not a problem. <laughs> Sean, Always. great to talk to you, Always. man. Let's give you some karma for matchup number two against UCLA. Good luck on uh, Saturday. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Always. You got, you got it. Sean Olmstead on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. So 6 Eastern Saturday, BYU TV. But before that, 2.30 Eastern on BYU Radio is the debut of OTT. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Out of 127 teams rated, because 127 teams played college football in the COVID season of 2020, BYU, according to ESPN's Bill Connolly, comes in dead last in overall returning production. Zach Wilson, gone. Dax Milne, gone. Matt Bushman, gone. Brady Christensen, gone. Matt didn't play, so yeah, no production. On the defensive side, Troy Warner, Kyrus Tonga, Zane Anderson, Isaiah Kafusi, gone, 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 gone. Yeah, there's a lot to replace. And so when you look at these numbers from Bill Connolly, Jerem, and you see BYU dead last in returning production, <laughs> how does this alter your expectations for the 2021 BYU football season. BYU will go 0-12. No, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. It actually doesn't alter my expectations whatsoever. Um, it, it's uh, And Bill will join us coming up. We'll talk about it with him. But yes, BYU doesn't return a lot of people. Returning people that played doesn't mean you're going to be good. What if those people stink? 
You're just going to stink again. Well, but the BYU players that are leaving clearly did not stink, at least in 2020. I'm speaking generally to his numbers, not specifically to Brigham Young. Um, yes, BYU loses a lot of guys. Therefore, BYU will take a step back, naturally and predictably. Um, I, I'm expecting kind of 7-5. and five. Uh, The average BYU team the last several years against a schedule like this, 7 P5s in Boise State, obligatory Hank Bachmeyer reference. I feel like 7-5 and five is probably the starting point, right? If BYU wins 8, uh, hey, that's, that's solid, uh, you know, against that kind of schedule. Now, there aren't world beaters on the schedule. BYU can win more of those than fewer of them. Only at USC feels like the real right. big challenge. And my issue has never been with the individual games. It's been the volume and how they're stacked together and when and where and why and whatnot. So, yeah, I, no, I, these do not affect my perception of how BYU will do. I don't think BYU is going to do worse because of this. I've known that Zach Wilson and Brady Christensen Dexman are going to come. I still think 7-5. So it doesn't really affect it. Listen, BYU's choosing to play hard schedules, and there's not a lot of production coming back um, from certain positions. But you still have Tyler Algier. You still have some talent offensive linemen. You have Gunnar Romney. You have uh, some guys coming off missions that you like. You have Isaac Rex making catches like that in the end zone. Defensively, there's a bunch of linebackers still back. D-line needs to replace Kyrus Tonga and Zach Don. Brackenell Bakri secondary loses some real experience with Troy Warner and Chris Wilcox. So there are some answers to be had there. So I, I'm unaffected by the lack of returning production because BYU hopes it reloads. A rebuild is like, yeah, let's, we were 4-9 and nine and now we want to go 7-6. Uh, and six. You know, That was that. That's not this situation. Let's rehash the grading criteria, which we initially brought up on Monday this week with Blaine Fowler. The returning quarterback pass yards equate for 29% of the grade that Connolly puts forth in terms of returning production. So you lose Zach Wilson, there's 29% of your grade. Running back yards or returning rush yards in general, only 5%, Jerem. So Tyler Algier, Lopini, Katoa, and people are like, oh, we got those guys back. It's only 5% of the grade. We're going to ask him why that number is so low as he figures these things out. Wide receiver and tight end receiving yards, 34%. 34, so he values passing a lot. Yeah, goodbye over 1,000 yards from Dax Milne, right? So yeah. a significant hit right there. But what Bill really can equate for is what BYU brings back off of a mission in the form of Dallin Holker, who mm-hmm. was productive as a freshman. It's too much to keep track of, oh, what was – that we, number three years ago for barely, BYU. We barely keep track exactly. of it. We see the return missionaries and we go, oh yeah, that guy. I'm not going to hold Bill Connolly to, well, you're overlooking Dallin Holker. I would I would if his, he went by William. If it was William, I would. <laughs> but it's Bill. Then the returning offensive line snaps. Chandon Herring and Brady Christensen are Tristan a huge yeah. knock. Tristan Hodges didn't play as much as we had hoped he would with injuries yeah. and whatnot. But, yeah, like half the I mean, they're... But Blaine Fowler outlined on Monday, he feels like the offensive line is not going to take as far back of a step as you might think, even though they lose three significant contributors. That's the hope, because you lose uh, Jeff Grimes, Eric Mateos, and a first-team All-American. Gulp. Uh, But there's a lot of talent in that room. BYU's developing that room the way it should be. And so that's exciting. And you have some guys uh, coming off missions, uh, you know, like, like Tyson Lewis and Brock Gunderson and Campbell Barrington that in a couple of years will make an impact. I, it's not built for a uh, return missionary to just come in right away and bang, they play. It's like, no, no, you redshirt and you eat a lot and work out a lot. So to double down on these numbers, clearly 
Bill Connolly values the returning quarterback pass yards, returning offensive line snaps, and returning wide receiver tight end receiving yards the most. It's not about Tyler Algier and Lopini Katoa. The funny thing is, we probably feel like the running back room is the best suited to keep going next season, right? Based on returners. Yes, and it's going to be a real challenge because you go from playing zero power fives to seven now, so it's going to be a different challenge in the trenches. Like, I don't think BYU is going to produce a thousand yard receiver or rusher because because it'll be a little tougher. But if you're in the 800, 900 range and your average per carry and average per catch is good and your yards per attempt is good from the quarter, then you're fine. Then, then you're good. It's all, it's all good. Yeah, look at those weapons. That, like, that feels like a reload, Jerem. That's, that's fine. That's great. That's great. Like Tyler Algier, Lopini Katoa, Gunnar Romney, Isaac Rex, Neil Pau. Just it, we're comfortable with what we know. So if you recognize good play from the year before, you're like, okay, that means it will be equal to or better. Sometimes you take a step back, right? Sometimes Matt Bushman gets hurt in August, and what does that produce? Dax Milne and Isaac Rex. Like, there, people are going to make catches and get rushing yards. How many? We'll see. But there will be individuals who do that. You, it's, it's just whether, like Bill Simmons talks about, somebody's got to score the points in a basketball game. You're, uh, even on the bad teams, you're going to have like a 20-point score. Is that player good, though? Is he just a good player on a bad team? I think BYU has good players on a good team. That's who BYU has. Of note, Bill Connolly's returning production projections for BYU in 2020, coming back with Zach Wilson off another 7-6 and six season. BYU was 43rd overall out of 130 FBS teams. So take that for what you will. I feel like BYU has enough coming back that they're capable of winning eight games. Really, the quarterback battle is going to be the clear dominating storyline over the summer and going into fall camp. Who's, you want, hey, who's you, that guy? Hey, you want to know when spring ball starts? This hasn't been announced. You want, I would want love to know? To. I would March love 1st. To. March 1st. Monday, March 1st. Let's go. Absolutely. Uh, so Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, Jacob Conover, let's go. People are saying, Sol J. Mob. It's like, Sol J's fourth in this list. He really is. He could be a tremendous player, but right now it's the it's those three in the in up front in my opinion. Yeah. It, it seems obvious. Again, I'm looking at the composition of the 2021 schedule and thinking about what BYU brings back and where and when these seven Power 5 opponents will play BYU. Arizona's going to have a new coach. Arizona does not scare me. That game in Las Vegas, I think, well, Arizona, I feel like BYU should win that game. Well, just look at history. BYU yes. is a team that beats Arizona. No, I think BYU should win that game. 08, not motivated, whatever. BYU lost that game. No, that, B- besides that, BYU's beaten Arizona like every 07, year. 16, 18. And one most recently on the road at Arizona to open up the 18 season. So yeah. BYU gets them at their home away from home in yes. Las Vegas. 18 was a 7-6 and six BYU team as well. Come on. Utah in Provo. That's always going to be a huge game. On September game. 11th, by the way. Okay. Arizona State in Provo. Mm-hmm. USF. So three home games because the Legion is a home game. USF <laughs> in Provo. Yep. BYU at Jaren, Utah State. Even if Baylor Romney is the starter. Jaron Romney should start the South Florida game. <laughs> <laughs> Boise State in Provo. Jaron, BYU is not going to leave Idaho oh, and Utah until almost November. Yeah. They go to Baylor, which is a team that's coming off a, what, 2-7 and seven season? What is Baylor football going to be? I forgot that a pandemic happened for a second. and was like, 2-7? and seven. How did that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is Baylor going to be? Washington State? 
mediocre Pac-12, but Pullman's yep. always a weird place to play. They always have some time we- offensive playmakers. Just a weird place. Virginia in Provo. Oh, hey, return, on my birthday! The return of Bronco Mendenhall. Happy birthday to me, Bronco! Yes. Dr. Yes. Bob, Kelly Papinga, Mark Atuaya, Garrett Tujay. What's up, boys? Look at all those new coaches. Arizona, yeah. new coach. USF, newer coach. Utah State, new coach. Boise State, new coach. Jeremy, BYU is going to have opportunities to win, I think, at least eight games based on yeah. the reload. That'd be awesome. That would feel the fantastic. End. Yes, yes. Eight games. That would be awesome. Show, show me. Ah, the Book of Gideon, Jerem, begins for BYU basketball. Gideon George making his first start, and he too had an unforgettable performance. We were all kind of wondering, when is Mark Pope going to solidify that starting five, or is it just a moving target every game? Maybe BYU just found their starting lineup with the implementation of Gideon George. What do you think? Did Mark Pope and the Cougars lock in what they need moving forward? No, it was Portland. Portland stinks. Um, but it was it was good to mix it up and see some success. Now you swing from the worst team in the league and one of the worst 50 teams in, in college basketball to the top team in college basketball. It doesn't mean that it's going to be necessarily like a good showing Monday, but I, I like that BYU is still pursuing greatness. They're not stuck in, yeah, no, nope, this is just how it is. No, BYU is constantly assessing who needs to be in there. Now, it's not the starting lineup, is, that's not exactly true. The starting five, yes, but it's the it's the non senior two. So it's Harms, Barcelo, Averett. They are sol- solid in that. It's who are the other two? Who is that third guard and who is the power forward? So now you put in Gideon George as that third guard. You put Loner at the four. That's great. Connor Harding added twelve off the bench. All five starters scored in double figures. This was a case where BYU found something good. They responded to a tough week, coming off a double overtime win against Pacific. Coming off a loss, this was a nice performance, albeit against a tough team. But BYU's not beating teams by 45. We'll get to the jump in the metrics. Mm. Wow, wow, even though it's Portland, wow, in the metrics. So the question is, if you play 10 deep, does it really matter who starts? I think it does for the three seniors. But BYU was just trying to jump out in front a little better. And that happened. But when we talk in March... I highly doubt that this starting five will have gone the distance. I think BYU will still kind of tweak and mix it up here and there. And it's great they found something last night. I don't think it's a long-term solution, though. You know what's wild about the starting five yesterday? If Mark Pope is not the head coach at BYU, not one of those guys is on the floor for BYU. Think about that. Matt Harms, Alex Barcelo, Brandon Averett, all transfers. Caleb Caleb Loner is a transfer transfer from Utah. And then Gideon, Gideon George, George is junior a college find and transfer by Mark Pope and his staff. Five transfers. How about that? Four of the starting five, not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You pointed out yesterday, BYU basketball with this staff is a place where all types of players can come. Wider, the university. Yes. The university. Yeah. Yes. So I loved it. When I saw this, I thought, wow, what an eclectic group here because two years ago, None of these guys were even in the mix. Yes, great point, and that's the the Mark Pope, uh, you know, part of this. He's and and listen, this plays into the bigger picture of the church, right? Be, uh, the church wants religious transfers, do they not? Hey, I know you were you were at this religion. 
if this fits for you, come over here and we feel like we have something good. That's Mark Pope as well with this team. And he's brought Eclectic, as you mentioned, this group together, which is great. And he pointed out, as you talked about in our pre-production meeting, he pointed out in the locker room, hey, Trevenel got got benched but came in and got three rebounds. And it wasn't that Trevin was doing something horribly wrong. They were just trying to find the best starting lineup. Yes. I think who starts isn't as important as uh, you know who plays the most and who plays well and who finishes. Like starting in football is like whatever. The quarterback, yes, and the line, the receiver combination depends on the play. Who cares? How many plays and snaps were you yes. on the field? And in basketball, it does matter, but I don't think it matters as much as you think if you're going to play 10 deep, and that's where BYU's at. 10 deep, 10 deep. Hmm, where did Mark Pope think of that? When Mark Pope was at uh, Kentucky, I almost said Gonzaga. When Mark Pope was at Kentucky, he played on a 10 deep team. He was a starter, and then he was benched. And he was the guy that would uh, guard the inbound, and he was 6'10", big, solid frame. They would full-court press. He understands what it's like to be the 10th guy on a team. And his team won the national title. He could have been uh, upset, but he gets it. So he points that out and does a good job of like keeping the people on the fringes or people who might be mad or upset. Hey, no, teamwork, give more, get more. Is this the best starting lineup? Maybe. But the sample size is way too small, and yeah. it's against the worst team in the West Coast Conference. If it works against St. Mary's at home and like better against Gonzaga, then I'll be like, okay. Now we're talking. Yes. Just Portland, that's, that's tough. But the mojo that BYU will carry from that performance, 105 points, into Gonzaga on Monday is a good starting point for the Cougars knowing what's coming in. Yes. And Gonzaga was tested for about 30 minutes last night. They were up three with nine minutes to go, and then they do what they do. They trailed for the second time all year at halftime to Pacific. Damon Stoudemire got fired up, got a, got a tee, had to be uh, you know, taken away from the refs. So, yeah, it got interesting for the Zags, but I, I don't expect BYU to beat Gonzaga. I mean, I don't expect literally anybody to beat Gonzaga. Like if you said, okay, Baylor's playing neutral court with Gonzaga. I'd say, I expect Gonzaga to win still. So I, I just hope BYU competes better than they did up in Spokane. BYU was down by 20, got down to 12, it blew back up. I would hope BYU can have it as a single-digit game in the final 10 minutes, and I, I would be happy with that result. Get it to the weird territory. Yes. Let's that makes get, it so fun. Let's get weird. The theme of workaholics. <laughs> Hopefully the BYU offense, to some degree, can show up against what will clearly be a much better Gonzaga defense than they face against Portland, but our stat of the day is eye-opening regardless of who the opponent is. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. BYU's 1.58 points per possession is the program's best offensive game in the Ken Palm Index era. You're scoring basically every time time you touch the ball. That's the 0-2. That's amazing. Two decades? It's amazing. 105 points. I, I felt like BYU shot like 80% from the field. They didn't, but it felt that way. <laughs> that would be amazing. What did BYU shoot? 63%? That's, a, that's incredible. That's an incredible that, number. That's the, that was the rare instance last night where neither you or I nor I are watching live. Because we have other games. Uh, other we had a doubleheader. Other responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. We wondered, okay, is BYU going to take a hit in the net ratings because they play Portland? It was a quad four, pretty bad in the metrics, 300 plus. Yeah, I'm very much the opposite. BYU jumps eight spots in the net rankings from 36 to 28. There are other moving parts involved there. That's massive. Utah beat Arizona. Look at that. 
Utah State beat Fresno State. Fres, yes. So BYU got some help from other teams that they have yes. beaten. Yes. But look, look at that, plus 11 in the Ken Ken Palm. Palm. Because of the scoring margin. They win by yeah. 45. Offensive efficiency is off the charts. Yep. You'll, Mi- you'll minus, make a big jump. Minus two in KPI. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, the KPI. Okay, the fact that BYU does this makes me wonder, is, is BYU missing a couple of those blowout wins this year from being like a six or seven. Because if, if, if that's the kind of jump you're going to have, and I don't feel like BYU has blown out too many fools this year. That's uh, obviously winning by 45 is just Portland ab- twice. Absolute domination. Yeah. Like a 20 plus point win to a, you know, a, a D1 team. BYU hasn't done it too much in the beginning, right? They, um, a, Most a of the bit, games but, have been grinded out. Yes, BYU's had some adversity. They trailed in the second half. Yes, so obviously Westminster's D two, New Orleans. Yes, that was early Utah Valley. Yes, but after that, it's been it's been a grind. Like eighteen with Utah, that was nice, but like just really just pure dominate Texas Southern, and then it's kind of been close, right? I'm looking in in league play. BYU lose to Gonzaga, then it's ten point win over St. Mary's, nine point over San Francisco. The big what twenty eight over Portland, uh, eleven over Pepperdine, minus three to Pepperdine, uh, plus uh, eight with Pacific. So it's been closer. I think if BYU does this once or twice, it's like okay, are we talking about a seven? Are we talking about a seven seed? Because we've talked about how eight nine is just the worst. I'm happy BYU is in a tournament situation. It's better than not being in. But if you're in and you you can affect your seed in a way where I'd rather be a ten eleven twelve than I'd rather be an eight nine. We asked Andy Katz yesterday. How can BYU, with the remaining games they have on the schedule, improve their seeding? Not so much the net, Ken Palm, basketball power next, but their actual seeding. And he said they're going to need some help from other teams. No, no, no. They just need to win by 45 every game. So if B- he said, yeah, BYU takes care of business, but they're going to San Diego State, Boise State, and Utah State, the top three Mountain West teams to finish as top three teams. And for the likes of Utah to keep winning big games in the Pac-12. If St. John's can pull off another big upset like they had against Villanova the other night, that yeah. will help. Maybe BYU sneaks up to a seven seed. Maybe. Well, if BYU is going to be a six, then they'll be a seven. Remember last year, BYU was going to be a five. They would they have end been up a six. a six. Sure. Now, this year, BYU is still going to battle the whole Sunday play thing. They'll be in one part of the bracket, two of the four regions, the whole thing. So if BYU is going to be an actual seven, they're going to have to be a six. Thankfully, so, so there's not, not much like, travel involved, and it's in one county in Indiana. Right. It's just the seating thing, the matchup. But neutral court with everybody. I mean, it would have been neutral anyways, but like, we haven't heard. There's going to be no fans, whatever. BYU's going to get to the NCAA tournament. Like, this is a comfortable, fun feeling right now yeah. this team. You just saw uh, the latest seed line numbers. ESPN Bracketology and Joe Lenardi have BYU as the top-rated nine seed. Okay. And The Athletic and CBS Sports have BYU as a 10 seed. I'm scratching my head at Bracket Matrix because I see, hey, 8.92 seed average, 90 of 92 brackets BYU is involved in. not in two brackets? Who are the two brackets that are not including BYU right now? Don't ask me a question. I will answer. Has your bracket not been updated in like six weeks? What's going on? And if so, why is that included there? (laughs) It's in a thing called RSN. (laughs) Racing Sports Network. (laughs) I don't don't know. And, and... CSM. <laughs> it's, I found the two. College the sports madness. Don't ask me a question. We update our bracket. I have to answer. Once in December and then again in March. I, 
College sports madness. Yeah. Yeah. What? Uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. BYU, we feel, is firmly in the field. That was updated four days ago. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Let's get those people on the show. Nope. Let's not. <laughs> let's let's yep. not. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Jeremy had quite the opportunity this morning to speak with one of our favorite guys, one of our favorite BYU alumni. He's squared, yeah. Uh, Brian Billick, NFL uh, you know, Super Bowl champ, of course, with the 2000 Ravens, known as one of the best defenses of all time. Fun conversation, former BYU tight end here in the 70s, and uh, has won a Super Bowl like uh, Andy Reid. Like uh, Mike Holmgren. So BYU has a history here. Fun conversation this morning with Brian about Tampa Bay and Kansas City and Andy Reid and Daniel Sorensen and winning an Emmy and, and his uh, shelf's better than uh, ours uh, here. Uh, here's the conversation on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. Okay, Brian, I thought your wardrobe might give away which way you were leaning in the Super Bowl, but it kind of goes both ways. So uh, wardrobe doesn't work out in that way, I guess. No, no, I'm uh, I, I'm in Columbus, Ohio now. So I've got you. If you're not wearing Ohio State colors, they kind of <laughs> shun you out of the grocery store and the cleaners. So uh, I've got to go to the store today. So I better I better dress appropriately. Yeah, and you have to say the Ohio State, right? Yeah, that's just that's just how it is. <laughs> the Ohio State University. You're right. I stand corrected. Exactly. Well, certainly the Super Bowl tomorrow. Uh, excuse me, Sunday. We're excited to have you on to talk about that. So. Andy Reid, uh, Daniel Sorensen representing BYU in the Super Bowl. This has been a game that's featured a lot, a lot of Cougars historically. Of course, you won the Super Bowl famously with the Ravens. So what do you think of this matchup with Andy Reid trying to go back-to-back against uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers? Yeah, it's, you know, people keep saying uh, just how difficult it is to win back-to-back Super Bowls. And I go, no, it's hard to win a Super Bowl, period. <laughs> the fact that it's back-to-back, it's, it's almost prohibitive. Uh, just so many things have to happen. But obviously, Andy's done a phenomenal job. This is just such a special team, and it, it all revolves, uh, revolves around uh, Pat Mahomes. I mean, this guy is so unique, so special in what he does. Uh, but, of course, he's going against the GOAT, uh, and, and you bet against Tom Brady, you do so at your own peril. So what do you think of the matchup in terms of uh, who, who has the upper hand in this? Because, obviously, Kansas City has been rolling, and uh, Patrick Mahomes, luckily, is healthy and in the game. Yet, as you mentioned, Tom Brady, and we'll talk about his legacy in a moment, but uh, this is a quarterback matchup that's about as good as it gets. Yeah, it always seems to come down to the quarterbacks. I am going to be very interested in seeing how the defenses align themselves. I mean, the plans, as Marv Levy used to say, simple but not easy. Uh, you can't give up the big plays. That's Jets' job one. We learned that in the first game. They know they can't go man against Tariq Hill. It was embarrassing how he went off on them in the first game. They adjusted, and it's remember, that eventually was just a three-point win by Kansas City after a phenomenal start. Uh, so, yeah, you get both teams, you can't give up the big play, equally for Tampa Bay. You know, uh, right now, Brady's playing brilliantly, small ball, Brady ball, run the ball. But when you give him that opportunity to get to Godwin, to get to Evans, to get to Antonio Brown, he's going to take it. And so both teams know you got to make him go the length of the field. I think we'll be up and down the field. Getting to the red zone, that's the key. If Tampa can make uh, Kansas City kick a field goal instead of a touchdown, trade a field goal for a touchdown. All that speed they have gets a little negated in the red zone uh, where Tampa Bay maybe can pound it in and, and be a little more efficient. So if, if they're going to be able to win 
it's going to be because of what they're able to do in the red zone. I'm talking about Tampa Bay. Talking with uh, Brian Billick, former Cougar player, Super Bowl champion here on BYU Sports Nation. Brian, if your 2000 Ravens defense was going up against this 2020 Chiefs offense, what would that matchup be like? Yeah, well, I, you know, I was with Ray Lewis the other day, and I asked him that same question. And he just looked at me and he said, we'd hit them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, that would be an interesting matchup because that team, uh, uh, you weren't going to run on that team. Uh, we, we, we were able to get pressure with a four man rush, uh, good matchups on the back end. You got Ray Lewis in the middle. I mean, Kansas city spectacular. You're not going to stop them. All you who again can hope to do is to slow them down and, and again, be efficient in the red zone. The challenge would have been obviously for us offensively to keep up because that's the other part of it. You can do all those things to challenge uh, Kansas city, make them kick field goals instead of touchdowns, but your offense has to respond as well. It has to keep up with them, or all of a sudden you just that, – that slow trickle of down by 7, down by 10, down by 13, down by 20 just keeps adding up. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, viewers out there, if you're trying to impress on your Zooms, I don't think you can beat Brian Billick with an Emmy and a Super Bowl trophy behind you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty that's, impressive. Uh, it, I'm an old man. You know, you gather enough hardware. It's 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 a pretty good uh, pretty good thing to do. Hey, I'd take one of those, let alone two. So that's pretty good. Who would line up on Travis Kelsey from the 2000 Ravens? Well, you know, I've been saying you can take anything you want away from an offense. You want to take uh, Tree Kill out of the offense? No problem. You want to take Travis Kelsey out of the offense? No problem. You you want to take both out of the offense? Now you got a problem because you just run out of numbers. Uh, yeah, you, you, you're going to have to jam them on the line. Um, you're going to have to bring a safety down. Uh, we had uh, 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 Herring and, and Rod Woodson certainly in that cover uh, situation. Our line, Jamie Sharper on the outside at linebacker. Um, you got to do a lot of things. The problem is that you then also you can't go as good as we were. Uh, we didn't have anybody, even with Dwayne Starks and Chris McAllister, anybody that could go one-on-one with Tariq Hill. And obviously Tampa Bay does not. They've learned that. So you can't, you know, you've got to combination that off as well. So that's that's the tough thing. So then, okay, so we you get a four-man rush and you take care of those two. Well, they still have Hardman. They still have Watkins. So, yeah, it's 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 a tall order. Certainly, Lavelle Edwards had a massive influence on everyone that he coached. Andy Reid, pretty vocal about the influence that BYU and Lavelle had on him. Where do you see that manifest itself the most on and off the field? Well, Lavelle always had the bigger view. Uh, by that, I mean, you know, he wasn't the, the strategic, tactical, X and O guru on, you know, on the offense or defensive side. He hired good people. He let them coach. But he kept such a balance for the players on and off the field and wrecking and looked at them as the whole player. And, and obviously as a college coach, it's a little bit different than the pros, but yes, that, that's, that has to be a priority in terms of you're developing these young people, but he always kept the game in perspective um, and made you work hard. Uh, but, but by the same token, respected the demands on you, the fact that you were going through college, you had a life outside of football. That, that's really, really important. I think you see that with a lot of the young coaches today. I think they have a, a bigger view, a more holistic view of their players and their team. Certainly the first home game for a team in the Super Bowl is interesting. Do you think that will make a difference for Tampa Bay in this? 
You know, I think that's been overblown. The fact that it hadn't happened, yeah, it was cute. And the fact that it's happening now, and it would happen in a time where obviously the fans can't be there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? that? For those that have been to a Super Bowl, it tends to be a fairly neutral crowd. In other words, you have kind of the same amount of uh, fans from one side as the other, plus you have a whole bunch of fans that are just there to go to a Super Bowl. Um, this is going to be, I think, a good game for the very fact that that the Super Bowl hoopla, I mean, normally right now we'd be talking about, well, what are the effects of the Super Bowl week and all the distractions and which team's going to handle it best and how's it going to affect the game? Well, we don't have that. I mean, Kansas City's not even coming in until Saturday. Um, so this is going to feel, and, and people, I, I'm sure it's hard to appreciate, once the ball kicks off, it's just another game. At least that's what you want as a coach. Now, the ramifications of it, what happens afterwards, certainly. But you want to get into that normalcy during the week in your practice and into the game as quickly as you can. You don't want to make it too big and, and internalize that kind of pressure. And this week has been ideal for those coaches. They've prepared in just a normal way, able to keep that normalcy for the players. So I think we'll see it on the field that it will be a very good game from the get-go. And then we look ahead to the NFL draft. Certainly Zach Wilson making waves, a, a probable top five pick, top ten. It feels like uh, almost for sure. What do you think of Zach Wilson and his prospects in the NFL? Outstanding. You know, he has all the, the attributes. Um, uh, you know, coming from a program that has used him the way that he has, yeah, I think people are very attractive. He has all the physical skills. He seems to have a pretty good demeanor about him. Um, the only concern I think, and, and between now and the draft, we're going to pick these guys apart, even Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Zach the same way. And, and Trey Lance and Kyle Trey, the whole group, uh, we'll start picking them apart as we typically do. And, ah, well, what about this? What about that? The only thing I think that will come up with Zach is that an, a phenomenal year this year in a very unique year, the big jump from last year, touchdown interception ratio from last year to this year. And, and which is good. I mean, that's what you want. But the fact that it was such a dramatic jump, it's a little like a guy that really has only played the one year. You worry a little bit about, well, what what was the reason for that? Were there external reasons for it? Um, is he more like the latter rather than the former? Uh, but I think the way he performed this year again, and the team was spectacular under adverse conditions. Um, I think he'll check all those boxes. And I agree. It's hard to imagine him not being a top five pick. From 74 to 76 when you, you were at BYU, what was, your, what was the building on campus you hung out the most in, and where was the hangout spot in Provo? Wow, boy, now you're, you know, we were at the Smith Fieldhouse a ton, obviously, and used to have the, uh, that little burger shop, although it was probably not even there, in, below the stands, the old uh, basketball arena. That was kind of our go-to for lunch. Now I know I, I was up there not long ago. Uh, Tom Homo invited me in to visit with the team and the setup that they have now and the way they feel, it's phenomenal. Uh, but no, we were having to eat burgers and that uh, greasy old thing underneath <laughs> the uh, under the stands. Uh, uh, of course, I majored in communications, so I was in your – it's the same building, I, I'm assuming it is. Uh, the that, Brim, uh, was there, a building? Great deal. Uh, this no, what was the this was the uh, God, I'm, 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 I'm was is it Gates? No, I'm I'm, I'm drawing a, a blank. The studios were all uh, up by the main administration building, so it's probably moved. But I spent a lot of time there, obviously, and, and a lot of time uh, obviously around the uh, the dormitories where we had uh, uh, training camp meals. 
Well, fun times, Brian. We always appreciate it. Great insight, and uh, we look forward to the Super Bowl tomorrow with a couple of Cougs or Sunday. I keep I keep wanting it to be tomorrow. I guess uh, Sunday. Yeah, I know everybody, and maybe the players want it too. Right now, <laughs> from now until game time is the longest two days of your life. It just seems like it takes forever to get there. Awesome. Well, we appreciate the time, Brian. Thanks. Sounds good. It's Brian Billick on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. It was the Harris Fine Arts Center. That was what we were talking about. Yes, to the HVAC. The HVAC, yeah, which we were in until 11 years ago, and then we got this beautiful building. It's fun that uh, he has ties to Lavelle Edwards, BYU, Andy Reid, Mike Holmgren. He's in a very uh, unique fraternity, Super Bowl champion coaches that came from that tree. Yeah, there's not too many fraternities uh, at BYU, so that's one of them. <laughs> We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Big Deal, No Deal, presented by BYU Food to Go. Big Deal, No Deal. The MVP of your next event, which brings us to our question. This event. Is BYU having 17 return missionaries a bigger deal than the 16 signees out of high school back in December? Where do you lean? Well, generally speaking, uh, you know, that back to that conversation, our question of the day, which is, okay, neither have experience. Which do you feel like will be more effective, the kids straight out of high school or off a mission? Kelly Papingo, we asked him a couple years ago this question, and he said the high school kid. Because physically, he's just ready. Yes, the return missionary is more mature and has had more life experience, but physically, sometimes it takes time. Like if, if Ch- I don't know when Chase Roberts gets home from his mission, but if it's June, I don't expect him to do jack squat on the team because physically, it takes like a year yeah. to get back. And if you push that too much, you might have a Chris Collinsworth situation where he injures his ankle and then his knee kind of gets hurt because his ankle's uh, injured and is trying to get... And then Chris, unfortunately, didn't flourish to as good as he could have been because he got hurt after his mission. And I was like, dang it, because Chris was awesome. We've had a few of those over the years. Kalani Sataki acknowledges that it takes time to get these guys yes. back. So I, I think it's the high school kids that come straight in because, yes, they're raw, but like physically they've been playing football the last two years. And they can they can jump in there and do some stuff. The return missionaries need a moment physically. They just do, and I can't I can't actually uh, empathize with that because I'm not that good of an athlete. But oh, historically, that's what it seems like. In fact, just reading the tea leaves of Coach Satake's comments about the return missionaries Is that a word of wisdom. He would almost prefer that they just sit out a full year and get right. Yes. Yes, and and. and um, Maybe yeah, like Campbell Barrington was a gray shirt last year. Some of these might have gray shirt. Let's Some tell you of them about have that. Had their year. Let's tell you about that. Gray shirt is basically they don't enroll, but they can work out. Okay, they they're not like their clock doesn't start. It's a thing that programs do. Um, and and you can so Tanner Mangum actually did this one semester before his mission, and then he went on his mission a little later. So he like was you know then he redshirted before his mission, and then he went on a mission. So. It, it kind of depends. You have the gray shirt, you have red shirt. It's actually a blue shirt, which I heard about last year or two years ago with USC, and I was like, what is a blue shirt? What did BYU <laughs> have this? I don't know. But for especially for the O-linemen, like I wouldn't expect a single O-lineman to come in right away and play. If you do, you're really legit, like super legit. You're good, and you've probably had some time to transition back. I would rather have time for you to uh, you know, take a moment. Like It's interesting, the role of return missionaries in BYU athletics now as well. There is space for 
obviously the good athlete who's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Jason Ayu and Jack Timoney have talked about how that's important. We need to get the best athletes who are members of the church. But there's space for a ton of other kinds of people. Not only uh, you know the, the Utah types who tend to be white and a member of the church, but for everybody. Like I love that Brandon Averett is a huge part of BYU basketball. He's black. He's from Dallas. Not a member of the church. Love it. Love it. Matt Harms, international guy, not a member. Alex Barcelo, not a member. Like the three leaders that... That's great. I love that there's this diversity because BYU's not getting the best members of the church who are out there. It's a bigger pool to play with now. It is. Stanford's a threat. Alabama can get kids. Uh, obviously, Utah has taken a leap up. Washington, uh, you know, with, with different guys and whatnot. USC, obviously. It's a different world, but if, but BYU, there's a place for all kinds of people at BYU. I think a long time ago that wasn't necessarily the case. Maybe that's changing a little bit based on what BYU was able to sign in December with the likes of Raider DeMooney and Logan Fano, two LDS highly recruited guys that are both four stars. That was an encouraging sign for yes. this staff. Yes, Raider I felt like was going to come here. Logan was the one that was in question. And he did. And it's awesome. And listen to me. You can still do it with good members of the church, but you need a mix of all kinds of people. Absolutely. Uh, If BYU doesn't get the best members of the church, BYU is never going to be like a really good program in basketball or football. So that's an important key and the most important one. But there's a place for everybody. That's the point I want to make. Yeah. I don't even think I answered the question. So let me do that very (laughs) quickly. It's a bigger deal to me to have the signees coming back because they're the people that are actually going to be in play. It just that's how it works at BYU. Oh well, I'm assuming those high school kids are on the team as well. Okay. In this conversation, yeah, I don't expect the high school kid who doesn't play at BYU <laughs> to have an impact on the team. Join the conversation 24/7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag #BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. You know, it was a very long road for Brandon Averett, big shot Brandon of BYU basketball, to get to Provo. And clearly, he is making a major impact. This is Deep Blue, presented by America First Credit Union. We're here to help. The journey to BYU has been wonderful, and, and it's, it's been crazy, honestly. But every step of the way, I've learned something new. And... And it's just made me a better person on and off the court. Took Brandon to his physical and he's talking to his pediatrician about what he wanted to do. And Brandon told him that he wanted to play basketball in college. The pediatrician laughed at him. He thought it was so funny, he said, because of his size. After the visit, when we got in the car, Brandon was like, Ma, you just don't know how much I hear that. I know that I'm going to have to work harder and I'm have to do things differently. That was the turning point in my life, though. I was okay. That was like the first. That was the first time I wanted to prove somebody wrong, though. There is nobody on our team that spends more time in the gym than Brandon Averett. We're in two a days, and Brandon Averett is staying for two hours after the first practice, and then coming back after the second practice. I have to kick him out of the gym on a regular basis. 
right now, if you went into the practice facility, he's probably putting up shots right now. He shoots, he shoots more than anyone on our team. He just puts in the extra work because he wants to be successful. He is working so hard and he's so focused and set on becoming the player that he's hoping and dreaming and imagining that he can be and being on a team that can accomplish what we think this team can accomplish. At Oklahoma State, my first two years, uh, I definitely built my, my grit and toughness. Coming out to UVU for my Red Star junior season, I definitely built my skill set and my, just my IQ for the, the game as, as a whole. My senior year coming to BYU, I'm just trying to put it all together. This has definitely been my longest time being away from home, you know. It's been like, what, since August? We just try to FaceTime every other day, every day, you know. Okay, son, I love you. We'll love. see you on the big screen Thursday. Yep, I'm going to text you. I love you, too. Yeah. All right, Jace, big head. I'm going to talk okay. to y'all. They definitely miss me a lot, and I miss them. I miss them a lot, too. But we've grown into this, and we're going to keep going. Honestly, we're going to keep going. My heroes, my parents, all the things that they've taught me and instilled in me. I come home every evening and tired and beat like most of us are. Uh, wanted to get some rest and relaxation. Brandon was about two years old. We bought him a basketball. He was bouncing the basketball. Of course, the basketball was getting on my last nerve. <laughs> so I had an epiphany right there. The epiphany was, okay, Am I going to allow him to just dribble this ball or am I going to shut him down and say no? Say, well, no, I'm just going to let him dribble the ball. And from that point on, everything else is history. I knew I loved Brandon Averett when I was recruiting him the first time. I'd seen the film. I talked to coaches. I talked to friends. But the first day, I rolled into North Dallas and went to his house and got to talk to his mom and dad, Randy and Belinda, face to face. I was like, this is the greatest family I've ever met. Like, I have such a deep love for them. And it was so incredibly painful to leave Utah Valley. And that was one of the relationships that was so hard to forego. And now the fact that we get a coach and we all get to be together, and at some point, I guarantee you, Randy and Belinda, even if they have to come crawl in the rafters because nobody's allowed in here for COVID, they're going to find a way into this gym to watch their boy. I love them unconditionally for everything they've done for me, and I, I don't feel like I can ever repay them. So proud of him, and I always tell him, I want to be like you when I grow up. I mean, I'm just so proud of him, seriously. And, and humble and so respectful. So we were just so blessed to have him. Brandon Averett, Deep Blue. Man, I'm glad Big Shot Brandon's in Provo because he has been a huge impact for BYU in some turning point games this season. For a long time, this has been a university that's been mostly white, member of the church. Front, like, there is a place for everybody here. Come on. So I, I love that Brandon Averett is at BYU. I really love it because he's got an amazing family. He's got an amazing story. It's been all over the place, but this has been a great fit for him. And uh, like, you'll, you'll, like you'll see in a story coming up, uh, on Cody Feger in a couple weeks. It's more than just winning. BYU didn't bring him in just to win games. They brought him in here because he's a person they want at the university, not just a basketball player. So great, great stuff. Uh, always appreciate getting that insight. And he's been making some big shots, some big games. You yep. talked about, I'm hoping for a little more consistency in, in a couple of games, but 
He's 12th in the league in effective field goal percentage in conference games. So he's been shooting the ball really well. And uh, tonight won't be a night where he needs to show up in a big way. But next week will be with Gonzaga on Monday, St. Mary's on Thursday. When Randy mentioned Brandon dribbling the basketball at two years old and it getting on his last nerve, that resonated with me, Jerem. <laughs> yes. My, my kid, yes, Tate this morning, who is two, bundles up, gets a coat on, hat, gloves, and he's like, let's go outside and play catch. And I'm like, it's cold, bro. Let's just do it inside. But I was like, he's all, he was all about that grind, and I was not. <laughs> but we played catch for like five minutes. So I there, love it. There you go. I love it. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. For the second time this season, BYU basketball will expedite a matchup with the top-ranked college basketball team in the country. The most, we think, dominant Gonzaga team in the history of their storied program. So, Jerem, instead of playing February 27th, BYU is going to play on a big Monday night on ESPN February 8th in Provo. Is it better to play Gonzaga sooner than later? I say yes because you want to get that game in. It's going to help BYU's net. Like BYU's net will go up several points just by playing, you know, number one or two in the net Gonzaga. I, I haven't looked. Are they two still? What One, two, whatever. Yes, five of the ten teams in the league are on COVID pause right now. Gonzaga had some COVID issues earlier in the season. BYU has been fortunate not to have any so far. Um, no, no games paused because of BYU. You'd think at some point that might happen. Like, it, hopefully it happens Monday that they play, you know, because we've seen BYU can go out on the road and boom, a game doesn't happen. So, yeah, I, I say sooner than later. In terms of the fan aspect of trying to get mm. some fans in there, it's probably tougher for BYU to turn that around yeah. if that was ever going to happen. And that's why I hesitate a little bit on that. Yeah, So on, on, but I'm more about BYU's net than I am fans in the stands. Ideally, both happen and are good. But, yeah, let's, let's play Gonzaga. And, again, in basketball, strength of schedule is rewarded. It just is. In football, it is not. So I am like, hey, can BYU possibly play his third time with Gonzaga if a lot of the league either opts out at the end or uh, – They can't get can't, going. Can, yeah, then BYU and Gonzaga are like, let's play again. And you know Mark Pope will go back to uh, Spokane and play. And that helps BYU's net trying to get into the tourney. So I say, yeah, sooner than later. As much as I would like to believe that – 10% capacity in the Marriott Center or even as much as 20 or 25% would be the difference for BYU basketball to knock off Gonzaga this year. I just can't. They're too good. They could play in front of last year's Marriott Center, Jerem, and I'm not sure BYU this year could beat Gonzaga. They're that good. Jalen Suggs is a big difference maker for them. Absolutely. Yeah. They are so they're loaded to the gills with NBA talent. And they play like a team that just doesn't care about that. Yeah, they, no, they play. They've always been good. BYU matches up really well with Gonzaga traditionally, but not this year. No team in college basketball matches up with Gonzaga this year. Right. Someone Iowa will, didn't. Someone will give them a, give them a fight later. Uh, you Maybe know, it's I, BYU. I don't. I, well, we'll see. A Ho- fight? Hopefully. Define a fight. Well, what's a fight? <laughs> Within 12? Um, yeah, you, you'd love to see a, a close game, but I'm not even – I'm not even worried about whether BYU beats Gonzaga. It's just playing Gonzaga because that will help the metrics, absolutely. I think BYU will play a better game against Gonzaga than they did the first time around because the first game is always kind of a head scratch. You don't know what to expect. Now they know. But another thing that makes me hesitate on moving it up is it's a Monday night. BYU, as we know very well, does not practice on Sunday. BYU doesn't play Saturday, though, so it's, it's fine. 
So it's okay to just have a rest day, maybe talk through some things, go no, through some film on Saturday. Sunday. What I'm saying is like yeah. on Sunday. So a rest day on Sunday oh, well, before the big game on Monday. It's no different than if you played them on a Saturday and you played on a Thursday. You have the one day of prep and you play. Yeah. So BYU will play tonight. They'll fly home uh, You know, probably tonight. They'll have a practice tomorrow for Gonzaga. They'll have a full day Saturday. And then Sunday they don't do anything, and then they play Monday. I'm, and it's a long day Monday, so it's it's like late. No, I'm fine. With sure, okay. So, I mean, if, if ideally you get it like on a Thursday and you have like yes, the five days to prep yes. or whatever. Yeah, but, ideal scenario, and that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. it's not ideal to have to play that game on Monday for BYU specifically because they do have to sit out a day before the game. But how much yeah. of a difference will that make? I don't know. And then yeah, if the game's played on the 27th. And BYU opts to get some fans in, then there's if that they, aspect too. They, yeah, they'd have to create that game because right now it doesn't exist. Now. Right, yeah, well, right now fans against Gonzaga on Monday, February eighth, we're what four days away from that. It doesn't feel like that's going to happen. That's for sure. Yeah, I, they'd have to announce it today or tomorrow, you'd think, uh, to sell some tickets. So yeah. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.